So firstly, I'm going to begin, and later on you'll understand what I mean about in the steps of the previous message. I titled the message, The Heart of Prayer, in anticipation of our week of prayer. You probably all have the flyer from January the 14th to the 21st. I wanted to bring forth a word. Have you ever wondered, what is the heart of prayer? Where did it originate? Where was, where was prayer first birthed? If you want to turn to the Word of God with me, we'll turn to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. I'm reading from the New International Version. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the very breath of life. And the man became a living soul. It may not be obvious in the English, but in the original language, the word life is in the plural. He breathed into man the breath of lives. It became obvious later, but immediately something magnificent happened out of the very person of God. Now, our conviction within this community is that there is a unity of diversity in the community of the Trinity. God is one being, and he is a, God is a mutual indwelling of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it is correct to say there is an eternal fellowship even before we were here or there was any creation. God was perfectly happy within himself in the mutual indwelling of three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, the reason why I say that, this God breathed, and the word there in the original is ruach. Doesn't it sound like breath? It's also the word for spirit. He breathed his spirit, his breath, his very life source, the life of the communing God, who in himself is a relationship, sought a relationship in man. God met man. But until that dust received in himself the very breath, spirit of God, that dust was no different than the dust on my windowsill. But the moment the spirit of God came into that dust, he became a living soul. And he was alive to himself. He became conscious, and he had a conscience. He knew together with himself. And I don't know about you, 
But every now and then, when I get a little too haughty, a little too high, a little too proud, I go over to the windowsill, not in my wife's house, <laughs> and I bring my finger along the windowsill, and I look at it, and I see dust. And I say, this is me, apart from the Spirit of God. And you know, Jesus said, if this dust did not worship him, recognizing with this consciousness that God has given me, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made from the dust of the earth. We know, and we can know our God, and we can know each other. Fellowship. Birth of a God who is fellowship in his own being. The moment we became alive. <sighs> Worship. Did you ever see a starling in the morning? It's cold, it's chilly maybe. In the late summer, I've seen this. And I've seen it in the spirit. The starling is on the branch and he's cold and shivering. It goes. The first breath he exhales, worship. Praise, adoration. I'm talking about prayer. That was an expression of gratitude from a bird. We can do better. Amen? We have the word of God. We have full revelation. We have everything that we need for our lives and to be godly in them. So every now and then just Find a house, maybe, where don't tell anybody, where you can find a little bit of dust. Don't, don't tell the lady of the house. But worship. He said, if, if we did not worship him, the stones would cry out. As dust goes, they are a little bit more settled than we are. And I don't believe God was kidding. He created us that when that breath of God came into us, the very breath that goes out would be an act of worship. Isn't that awesome? So in that, you've heard me mention the word fellowship, relationship fellowship. Many, many years ago, you probably cannot see it, this is called the intercessor. Practical prayer insights for the praying Christians. The very first publication of The Intercessor by Every Home for Christ, World Literature Crusade, volume one, number one. And this will happen to me every now and then. I don't know if anybody knows this, but I, I like words. And I tend to use a lot of them. At least that's what I've been told. Well written here, it says, the Christian's vital breath. If you're wondering at all what a vital breath would be, I'm going to ask the mothers who have birthed a child to raise their hands. Okay. Now, as a man, I have not fathered children. I have no children. But I have five granddaughters. Now, I think that's pretty good for a man that had no children. 
<laughs> I rejoice in that with my wife, Louise. But could you imagine? The baby is born. The doctor lifts the baby. And what they used to do in the olden days is they would hold the baby by the ankles, and what would they do? Poof. What were they trying to do? What a way to invite a baby into the world. Why would they do that? What was so vital? The first breath. And everybody would go, oh, he's going to live. The vital breath carries on from the garden. It carries on to your children. And it carried on to the resurrected Savior who brought life again. Life as life was meant to be. And after, from incarnation through his life of resisting sin, setting the record straight, giving God a good name, glorifying God where we slandered God at our best, don't take it personally, but it is true that at our best, we misrepresented God. And that is slander. And it's blasphemy. And we were in trouble. Because that brings a sentence, a death sentence, an eternal death sentence. But God in his great love, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. But that death found its merit in his life. Okay? And I'm going to explain this. Have you ever heard the expression, plead the blood? What is blood? The Bible makes it very clear through the whole of the New Testament. The life of this flesh is in my blood. The moment my blood is drained from the body, I am dead. And I am sustained by the oxygenation of my blood. The very breath in my blood infuses my whole body. And the very lifeblood. This, remember, when we were cut off from God, this is where we were ailing in our very lifeblood. We were not the people we were created to be, but God. Just like when there was nothing but dust, he breathed into man and he became a living soul. The man, Christ Jesus, came as one of us, yet the last Adam, the fullness of humanity in this one man, in our place, living our lives as our lives were meant to be lived, so as to give God glory, so as to please God always and everywhere. He perfectly represented God in the flesh of our fallen state. But never once did he give in to temptation. He always did that which was pleasing to God. He lived a life that was worthy. Now, worthy is a strange word. Worth is in there. But the word itself comes from the Greek word, axios. And if you've ever seen a, a balancing scale, 
where you put something on one side and you want to balance it, the needle's over here, what do you have to do? You've got to put something on the other side that is exactly the same weight. And then the needle goes straight up and down, and there's a word for that, tzedek, upright like a plumb line. Why? Because what's on the left is exactly like what's on the right. And God sent his son. And he imaged forth the glory of God as man was meant to image it forth. And he lived a life that was perfect, perfectly glorifying God. Weighty life, a valuable life, equal to the very life of God. And that life, that glorious, precious life, that was merited through the course of those 33 years was poured out on Calvary. And an exchange was made. God said, you go, God. Now, he probably didn't say it exactly in these words, but get my drift. God sent the Son. The Son takes responsibility for humanity. So he had to live the life way, way, the way man should have lived it, which he did perfectly. But what about justice? What about the penalty for sin, which is horrendous? Jesus says, give them my righteousness. Give me their sin. That's us, sinners, being saved by the grace of God. So Jesus obeyed actively during every moment of his life he only said what the Father told him to say. He only did what the Father told him to do. He perfectly represented God actively. But now, on the cross of Calvary, he yielded to the just wrath of God that was due us, but as our representative, it came on him. And he yielded to it. Three days later, God looked in the grave, so to speak. Our sins, you could say Jesus had it covered, literally. His blood cleansed us from our sins. Our debt was paid, and God declared Jesus Christ to be the Son of God with power by raising him from the dead. Amen? I'm getting back to a renewed relationship for each and every one of us. He had followers called disciples anticipating, maybe not in the way we would understand because they just didn't understand that he was going to rise again from the dead. They were a little bit concerned. But all of a sudden, he's in the midst, risen from the dead, and he's walking in the midst, and he says to his apostles, Receive the Holy Spirit. And the breath of the risen Savior, the Spirit of the living God, entered into those apostles. And life came into the leadership of the body of Christ. Isn't that glorious? Oh, yeah. Pentecost. He didn't forget about us. He said, now go to Jerusalem. And wait there for the promise of the Father. And then all of a sudden, like a, a mighty rushing wind, 
blowing into the room as they were gathered, came in the Holy Spirit. And their hearts burned within them and the fires burned upon them. And passion for God was birthed in their spirit. Amen? Oh, we need a baptism, a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God. To animate us with the very life of our Lord Jesus Christ and to send us out into the world. And I'm seeing here Samson grabbing foxes and tying their tails together, putting a torch on the tails between the two foxes and letting them loose in the fields. That should be us. We should be that torch set loose in our communities with the fire of God, setting the world ablaze in the fire of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in the Word of God has a practical application. Even foxes with their tails tied together with a torch in between. <laughs> now I'm going to get to my message. <laughs> oh, praise God. I want to read you a poem. I've been talking about vital breath. I can see the clock from here. I don't know if I should have said that. I had no excuse. Okay, let me see if I can hear. Okay. Okay, right in here. You may have heard this before. It was first read in 1771. So that's a little while ago. So we may have heard it. The Christian's Vital Breath. The title of this poem is, and the title of my message is, remember, The Heart of Prayer. And the title of this poem is, Prayer is the Soul's Sincere Desire. Words by James Montgomery, who lived from 1771 to 1854. I want you to listen carefully for those who are at liberty, those who like to soak in the things and the presence of God, you know, just like to be able to relax, you can close your eyes. Prayer is the soul's sincere desire. Uttered or unexpressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear. The upward glancing of the eye when none but God is near. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. Prayer, the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath. The Christian's native air his watchword at the gates of death, he enters heaven with prayer. Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice returning from his ways while angels in their songs rejoice and cry, Behold, he prays! Wouldn't we love to see that in our wayward children in contrition on their knees and we look, they're praying! Nor prayer is made on earth alone. 
the Holy Spirit pleads. And Jesus at the Father's throne and for sinners intercedes. O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thyself has brought. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. A child can pray, but prayer is sublime. It is not simple. It's simple in concept, but it can be very difficult to be able to express the depths of our heart, our love for God, our need for those who are our loved ones and our, you know, our neighbors and even our enemies, that what God would have for them in his created intent as for us, that by our asking it will be delivered by God. It is not something that is always easy. But where is it birthed? Out of relationship. So, following on with Pastor Fred Williams, he mentioned relationship and empathy, and I'm adding prayer. God is in relationship eternally. He's welcomed us into a relationship with him. And as we've ministered to one another's in our assembly with earnest prayer, God is, ye is yearning that we would be one another. Solidly bound in unity and communion in the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoying that union and communion with one another. Yearning in our spirits to reflect God who images himself in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you an example of a man who was knocked off his horse by the Lord Jesus Christ, who was passionate. And he believed he was serving God by killing Christians. At least arresting them and taking them to the place where they could be judged for the blasphemy of believing that Jesus is God, which we believe. He was passionate. He desired to please God, but he was ignorant of the God he was trying to please. So reading from... Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and then chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to touch a little later. I want you to hear the different expressions of prayer coming out of this man's heart for those that he had won to Christ or wanted to see come to Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray. Isn't that a statement? in all my prayers, in my earnest petitions, for all of you earnestly petitioning God. I always pray 
Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel, koinonia, fellowship, relationship together for one purpose, the purpose of God in Christ Jesus. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now watch Paul in relationship. Something that's not easy for do, especially for a man. Open his heart and become transparent before these people. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And wherever I am, in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Baptism in the very spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Birth and affection, a deep affection for God and an affection for our brothers and sisters. And out of that, relationship with God and our brothers and sisters, empathy is birthed. And empathy is like the alarm that goes off and says, pray, pray. Pray that God's purposes would prevail. Pray that God's purposes would prevail in your brothers and your sisters in the world. That God would have the souls he so earnestly desired. And Christ from the cross of Calvary praying, it says, for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, looking down through history, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Who was he looking at? There's a song that says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He was looking down through history, knowing that because of his sufferings, a way was going to be opened for us to return to that glorious relationship in the Holy Spirit where we had life with the living God. Now moving to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. There is an exhortation. And in the tense, it says, don't start doing this. Don't even start. <laughs> okay. Do not be anxious. Don't even start being anxious. It's saying in the original. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer, that intercommunication of God communicating by his spirit to you and you communicating to God, it says, and earnest pleading, begging and pleading if necessary, but you're in the face of God, with thanksgiving. Oh. Is that often dropped? While we're begging and pleading before God and seeking God's mind on the issue, how far along before we just stop and say, oh yeah, thank you God, you're not my butler. You're the Lord and I'm the servant. I am dust and you're the Almighty. I'm so grateful that I have this privilege to come before you with this need. And so Lord, yeah, just, I'm going to shut up. miracle. Oh, Lord. I didn't see it that way. Scratch out that last prayer. 
Thank you, Lord. In that moment of gratitude, we acknowledge the goodness of God and we give room for God, for his ways, which are good, to be made manifest. So again, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What a privilege. We're not talking about the prime minister here. We're not petitioning the prime minister. We're going before the very God who created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in it. A glorious way where it was opened by Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And we can go boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive that which we need. And God wants it or else he would not have made the way at such a great cost. I don't know about, you know, I've never, as I mentioned, father to child. But is there any father in here that would not be pleased that their child came to them rather than to a stranger or their neighbor? I think it pleases the heart of a father to know that their father depends on them and looks to them for everything they need. And so it is with God, our father, it brings great joy to his heart when we come into his presence with our every need. And here's the promise. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding, and you will not understand it, because before you started to pray, you were anxious, you were worried maybe, you were boring trouble, and you were tempted to go meddling in the situation, trying to change it. And sometimes just so we wouldn't have to mop up after it. But now we've brought it to God. And we have this glorious peace that passes understanding. It, it transcends our understanding. It says it will build a fort. <laughs> this peace builds a fort. It guards, it garrisons your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Where's Christ? The man Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Sometimes we forget that we also are in Christ. And we don't take our position in Christ by faith. And what happens? Situations rule us and our condition changes and we forget who we are and that we have a God and we're under it. But the moment we cast our eyes upon Jesus and we set our eyes on him and realize we're in Christ, in Christ we remember our position, we take authority over our circumstances and our heart changes and we rest in the peace of God. So we have a part to play to look and it said in the Old Testament look and live. But we don't look. We don't fix our eyes. We don't set our heart on things above at times and, and we forget to fix our eyes on Jesus. The man Christ Jesus our representative. Seated in the heavenlies. I'm going to, no, I'm not going to say that because <coughs> I was going to say something, but it makes every preacher a liar. I was just about to say, uh, now I shouldn't say that, but yeah, have you ever heard a preacher saying, I'm going to close? <laughs> and an hour later, we're still speaking. No, the intention wasn't a lie, but it definitely wasn't the case, Right? So I'm going to do my very best. Please forgive me, pastors. I should not have put it in that tone. The fingers pointing here. Right? You ever notice that when you point out your three fingers pointing back? So I'll wear it. I'm going to read the first line of the same apostle speaking to his 
son in the faith, his friend, Timothy, who served at the time of the writing of 1 Timothy. He would have been 12 years serving God. Paul and Timothy served God together. And he was 20 years younger than the Apostle Paul. But he had good faith basis. I mean, Lois and Eunice, his, you know, his uh, mother and grandmother. So he had a great foundation of faith. But he was a diligent servant of the Apostle Paul. He loved Paul. He would rather be in prison with Paul than not. And it is believed that in one of his last prison sentences, Timothy went to care for his needs and ended up in the same prison. True or false, that's the tradition, but it appears to be that way from certain scriptures. That's real jail ministry. Okay. As it talks about in Hebrews, that when any in this place for the love of God and for the gospel of Jesus Christ are arrested and are in jail, we're going to understand whether or not we understood jail ministry. Are we going to go at the risk of our incarceration, supply them with what they need, their food, you know, anything that they would need? Now, I thank God for people who are going to jails and ministering the gospel, but in the last days, there's going to be a jail ministry, and it's not going to be like the majority of jail ministries today. You're going to be visiting at the risk of your own incarceration and the love of God and the love of our brothers and sisters will be tested. Let's get ready. Let's stir up the gift of the spirit that is in us, the gift of faith, and ask God to give us such an ardor for him and for his loved children that we will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will stand strong. The first line, Paul speaking to Timothy, who's going to end up taking over the work in Ephesus, and it was not an easy work, a lot of trials and testings and tribulation, and Timothy, by constitution, his makeup tended to be timid, so Timothy was timid at times, and he's even his body showed it. And Paul had made a prescription for his, his stomach's sake because he was bothered probably with what we would call today when you get a little bit anxious, colitis or something like that. In the bowels, he was timid. And it was showing up in his guts. But Paul knew Timothy. He had labored with him. And how, God, how we need mentors today generational ministry where every Timothy has a Paul and every Paul has a Timothy and they're laboring together in the things of God and they're seeing what to do and they're seeing the pain and they're seeing the suffering and their eyes are open to the reality of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But they're going on and persevering for the love of God and for the love of those they are serving. Paul says to Timothy, and this is how the original language says this. It's like Paul comes over to Timothy, takes him by the shoulder, and he looks him in the eyes. He says, I urge you, above all, first of all, Timothy, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving 
be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. That means no disturbance coming politically from the outside, and we're not disturbed on the inside and tempted to say something we'll regret later. That's exactly what those two words mean in the original. Don't be disturbed by anything coming at you from outside. Well, if we want that to be the case, we'd best be praying for people who are in authority over us. Amen? It is a political prayer in a very real way. Be praying for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful, undisturbed, and quiet, unagitated lives in all godliness and holiness, which means in all reverence and a weightiness, of, a gravity of, that's a woman of God. People would see it. They just, in the midst of everything that's going on, there's something different about that person. They don't seem too disturbed. Everybody else is coming apart, it seems. And they seem to have this peace about them, this reverence for God, and this, this weight of assurance that God is in the midst. And you know, if I look at them really close, I think I see something of God in them. Believe it or not, all that is in the word godliness and holiness, peaceful and quiet. And God says, God, Paul says, this is good. He said, and pleases God, our Savior. He says, this is being done in the very eyes of God, and in God's opinion, his face is smiling upon them. It means to be done in his presence and to please God. And then he makes this awesome statement. Who wants all people to be saved. How many people? All people. He wants all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And going back to what I mentioned earlier. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. Remember the blood? Remember the price that was paid for our salvation? Who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Four words. See if I can find them here. We'll look at it a little closer. Petitions. We've heard these words because, after all, we've been brought up in the church or we've been in the church for a long time. Petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. But I'm going to propose to you that this is absolutely necessary to be praying for all people and for leaders that, you know, our environment would be such that we can continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in peace so that the Lord will have what he died for, souls. But I'm going to suggest to you the order these words come in the original language are so kind of God. There would be those who, you know, would not want to, to be undignified and so, of course, we must start with God. And eventually, we'll get to praying for ourselves. But that is not what the Word says. The Word says, my people, you're distracted. 
that pain in your back, that broken relationship, that, that, that it's causing you to be distracted. You're burdened. You're, you're weighted down. Bring it to me. Bring it to me, your affections, your concerns, your anxieties. Pour it out. Pour it out before me. Lay it at my feet. I will receive it. I will carry it. I will carry you. God says, he condescends. He says, I want to meet you where you're at. Broken. Desiring to become all that you were created to be. So he comes and he meets us and he says, bring it to me. Lay it at my feet. I will carry it. I will carry you. And then he says, now relax. It might not be a second. It might not be a minute. It may be two or three hours before you can just roll it on to the Lord, so to speak, and come out from under it and rest in the faithfulness of God. And then God says, now, let's pray. And prayer is a two-way communication. And what happens in prayer? He says, now that that's out of the way and you're not anxious, worrying, boring trouble and tempted to meddle, he says, now that you got that out of the way, let's share desires. So that's the three o'clock prayer where you go down to the river in the New Testament and they would sit there and they would rest in the presence of God. And we have expressions of that today where devotional prayer and soaking and so on and so forth. But the intention is, is that now, you go into the presence of God and you share desires with God and then you wait and God shares his desires with you. And then there's an, there's an alignment that's going to take place. And guess who's going to change? <laughs> Not God. But thank God in that quiet place we can align our prayers and our desires with God's desires. This is very important because the next form of prayer and it's probably not until we're relaxed and satisfied in God and in peace that we're going to start thinking really for someone else. Uh, I'm not saying that to be nasty. I'm just telling you if you're totally distracted with everything that's breaking loose in your life and you haven't had an opportunity just to refresh your spirit in the presence of God in these prayers, you might not come to the place where you go, ah. Oh, I wish Suzanne had the blessing I'm having right now. And what you have in God begins to overflow to people who are in the same situation you were in before God comforted you. And you're thinking in your relationships, you're empathizing with others, and you begin to talk to God about the needs of others. And in some situations, the word here for intercession also means intervention. All the more reason why you need a time of devotional prayer with God because he's also going to say sometime, you have interceded. I've shown you what is required. Do it. It is better to know what God would have you to do and then do it, than to be in a state of anxiety, and somebody has to do something about that. So you take it upon yourself, and what usually happens? Blows up in your face. But there are times in our intercession, because we've spent that time with God in a relaxed communion, that we know exactly what needs to be done, 
and we have the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I want you to do it. That makes sense? And that may be be personally visiting your premier or your mayor or a person of influence in your community. Because your prayers, remember, for kings and all those in authority also. The last expression. So you were in anxiety, in a state of concern. You were tempted to meddle in the situation to try to spare yourself the misery. You were going to fix it. But now you're not boring any more trouble. You're not anxious. You're actually at peace. And you've had a time with God, and God has straightened out some of the things that were on your heart. And he's actually pointed out to you where he would have you to be his hands and his feet. And then you're going to rejoice that in that moment, God has given you a privilege to make a thank offering. Usually thank offerings were given when a vow was fulfilled in the Old Testament. They would make a thank offering and was consumed by fire, a sweet-smelling fragrance. The Apostle Paul says, I, I urge you to present yourselves to God, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, your reasonable worship. We were bought at a price. Who bought us? Jesus. He was consumed in his love for us. We go, yield it, Father, whatever comes my way. In you, I have peace, God. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I go in the peace that is in Christ. But should I enter into the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, obeying you, thank you that I have the privilege of suffering in Christ Jesus for the good of my brothers. Christ suffered for me. I am willing to suffer whatever needs to be suffered to see them reconciled to God. And this especially applies when the Lord says, I want you to speak to them, and I'm going to allow you to persuade them that they are sinners. And we don't know who it is God is going to ask us to go to. And then I'm going to ask you to speak to them, and I'm going to persuade them that only my son Jesus was the righteous one. And that he has made an exchange on the cross of Calvary, and he has credited to his account, their sin, and he is credited to their account, his righteousness, but they don't know it. So I'm going to ask you to go and minister reconciliation. Have them to understand it. Then once they understand that they have been reconciled to God through the suffering of Christ, the prison door is open, but you cannot force them to step out of the prison and enter into a relationship with the living God. But they need to know. There's nothing between them and me. It's an open door. So go to them. Even if it costs you. For I have done everything that was required for your salvation. Please join me in reaching out to others. So in that, I will close. And, excuse me. I will pray. Firstly, I want to thank God for our pastor and for the fellowship of our assembly and each person who's under the ministry of those whom God has set over us. So, Father, we are grateful for the leadership. We're grateful for each person who is present in this assembly, those who are online. And our heart's desire, Father, is that 
it would become as simple as this, stilling our heart before you and believing that you are always gracious, always disposed to give everything that you are to us. Give us the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and grant that we would just receive, Father, by faith, everything that you are, that we might be filled and satisfied, Lord God, and in peace. Grant us hearts that think about others who are less, Father, knowledgeable and are not yet knowing the peace of God. And Lord, you said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest field. So we close with this. For the sake of the one mediator, to be his hands and feet, we say, Father, send laborers into the harvest field of our families, our city, our province, territories, and nation, to the ends of the earth. Send forth laborers. And then, as an act of worship, here am I, O Lord. I will not presume that it is me, but I give you my yes in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you, Donald. <clears throat> Perhaps today you need personal ministry. You need the Lord to touch you in a special way. Maybe you need a miracle. Maybe you need healing. Maybe there's some worry that's upon your heart. And it's, it's a heavy burden. And you need to be set free from it. Jesus is here today to minister to you, to set you free. He really wants you to be free. Amen. So I'm going to ask you today if you need special prayer to come, and a member of the Breakthrough Team will minister to you in prayer. God bless you. Have yourself a great week.
This is my surrender. This is my. 